Hey there, it's Kate Swoboda, also known as Kate Courageous. I'm the creator of YourCourageousLife.com, the director of the Courageous Living Coach Certification at TeamCLCC.com, and author of the book, The Courage Habit. In my continuing quest as a multi-potentialite, I also talk about teaching the teachers over at Facilitate with Impact. And now I'm the host of a new podcast, the Your Courageous Life podcast. We're going to talk about going after what you want and living a more courageous, emotionally resilient life. I might drop a couple of F-bombs, so don't listen with your kids in the backseat. And here we go. Hey, hey there. All right, first things first, and this will be super quick. If you have a moment to give the Your Courageous Life podcast a rating on iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you happen to be listening to this, where they will let you offer a review, I would so appreciate it. And now I'm going to open up this podcast episode with a question. Who taught you how to be a good friend? Like actually contemplate this for a moment. Who taught you? How to be a good friend. How did they teach you? And if you feel a little stumped by this question, maybe you're something like me because my answer is um, no one. <laughs> no one that I can recall. I remember hearing messages about how to be a good host, you know, if, if people were coming over for birthday parties, right? Like, you know, my parents talking to me about making sure that I said hello to everyone when they arrived. And when I went to other people's birthday parties, I remember my parents reminding me to thank the the person who had invited me for inviting me to make sure I said happy birthday, that today was their day. So, you know, even though I might be excited about the presents that they were opening up, they got to open them up first. Birthdays are kind of a day where you don't have to share everything. It's all about the person who's having the birthday. And that means that my other models for friendship were teen melodrama, Beverly Hills 90210. That's kind of sad. Felicity. <laughs> when I got into college, I mean, you know, kind of like not high quality television. So nobody really explained to me, here's how you're a good friend. And frankly, my parents uh, tended towards some some level of introversion. They kind of had relationships of convenience, so they saw people around them and they connected with those people. And it was like if if it was convenient to connect with them because they were a neighbor and lived nearby, that was how they connect. But it wasn't really searching out mutually beneficial and fulfilling relationships based on values and particularly as a woman, the model of friendship that I saw uh, when two women were upset with one another is you just stop talking to them anymore. So there's this, this real thread that I've noticed, particularly among women, although it can be with others, where that happens, where we don't really know how to be friends with people unless we saw really great models for that or unless somebody really talked to us about that being friends with people and what to do when friendships encounter conflict is this kind of amorphous, vague concept for a lot of people. And that ties in very directly to caring what other people think. And I was thinking about this topic because I 
was recently decluttering my home. And this is always, by the way, a really dangerous thing for me because I, I just, I'm by nature, I think one of those people who, who tends not to throw things away because I think, oh, well, you know what? I might use that later. And then I go on a decluttering binge and I'm just like, that's it. It's gotten too crazy. I'm never going to look at that. I don't know, printout of that article again. I've read it once. I don't need to keep it recycle. So I'm going through and I'm decluttering things. And another, you know, thing that I tend to accrue is books. I'm a voracious reader. I read a lot. I'm usually in the middle of approximately 10 books at any given time. And that's not an exaggeration. I just, I like to read a chapter from one and then from another and start synthesizing ideas. Love to read. Love it, love it, love it. So I have a lot of books. So I'm going through a bag, a mysterious bag that I find in the garage. And in this bag are a number of books <laughs> in the garage. And one of the books, when I saw it, my heart began to pound. Because it was this book from about 10, maybe 10 years ago, maybe longer, that the person who had written the book, I knew the person who had written the book. And there had been a very particular set of circumstances where I had been invited to be part of a, a small group that had gotten together for some in-person stuff. And it meant the world to me to be invited to be part of this group. And for reasons I don't totally understand and some that I suspect I do understand, later I was excluded from the group. And I remember that when I received this book in the mail from this person, I was so excited about it. It had been inscribed to me. I, I loved what this, this writer was up to. And in the book, I read it cover to cover. And towards the end, I ended up seeing this photo that had been included in the book. And it was a photo of all of these women who had originally gotten together, but I was not there. And in the acknowledgments of the book, there were these acknowledgments like to my people, you know, the people I know and love, and, and there are these names there. And all of the women who were at these other events, their names are there. My name is not there. And I, I just, I'm sitting here in my garage now, more than a decade later, and I see this book and it all comes back. And what comes back is how devastated I was by what I perceived at the time to be this thing about me that people didn't like. And that I'd spent a lot of time trying to go, I don't care what other people think. I mean, this was very much an armor. And, and I take responsibility for the places where those relationships really did not flourish. That armor that I carried, which I thought at the time I was turning on and off, I thought at the time that I had that armor on with people who were not nice people and that I was taking that armor off when I was in the company of these women. And I didn't realize that I was actually wearing this armor pretty much wherever I was going at all times. I, uh, yeah, just looking at that book, this is a couple days ago, and I just remembered, I mean, I was sick to my stomach, deep, 
hard to breathe, bawling and crying because I just went, what is so awful about me that I would not be wanted? That's how I interpreted it. Now, all these years later, of course, consciously and as an adult, more of an adult than I was then, this was in my early 20s, I understand that friendships and groups can be complicated and they they ebb and they flow and they come together and they pull apart for a whole variety of reasons that have everything sometimes to do with someone not wanting someone around and nothing sometimes to do with someone not wanting something around. But the, the place where I was really triggered was from that internalized child, that internalized kid that just really remembered what it was like to not be included. And, and this internalized kid that very, very much wanted to subvert herself if that was what was necessary in order to be accepted. Now let's talk about caring what people think. And often online, you'll see these memes and stuff where people are going, I give no fucks. You know, I don't care what anybody thinks. And I'm, I just, whenever I see that, I just kind of smile because I, I don't believe you. <laughs> like, you know, like I don't believe anybody who says that. And part of the reason I don't believe anybody who says that is because, like I said, I spent years myself. And so it's a centering of my own experience that I'm applying to the general population. Fair enough. But also being a coach, hearing details of people's intimate lives, I don't think that there's anybody who truly gives no fucks, does not care what anybody thinks. I think there are people who don't let what other people think stop them from doing the things they want to do or living the way they want to live. And that's very healthy. And that's where I'd say I spend a lot of time now. But I don't think there's anybody who doesn't at least have a moment where when someone is judging them or not accepting them or just not being very loving doesn't have at least a moment where they're, it's like, ouch, this hurts. This doesn't feel good. Somebody doesn't like me. And who likes that? So these years that I spent with the armor on, the judgment, don't let anybody to get too close. Behind the scenes, I was extraordinarily sensitive. I mean, this was the world's best cover. And from what people have reflected to me when I've asked for feedback about that time in my life, I did a great job of really convincing people that I was impenetrable, that people could say and do whatever they want. I don't give a fuck. You know, it was just this whole edge and this whole attitude. And I was the world's best actor in many ways. And the confusing thing was that I didn't realize I was acting. That's the thing that's so hard. And it's, it's, it's something that I, I certainly don't make allowances for what I think of as piss poor behavior in our society. I mean, if somebody is being unkind or being um, mean to others, absolutely. I, I differentiate and I go, okay, that actual behavior needs to stop. But... I think that in, as a general rule, um, I'm a lot more compassionate now around abhorrent behavior. And in fact, um, as director of the Courageous Living Coach Certification, one of the things that I think about in teaching our coach training curriculum 
is this concept that's arisen in the industry of the quote-unquote uncoachable client. And I think of who I was when I first started to break some of these patterns of being so closed off, angry, the armor was on to the outside world, yet I was in such deep isolation and pain and loneliness and sensitivity in my inner world. When somebody is a client and they're exhibiting really bad behavior, like you know, a lot of resistance, maybe even being belligerent a little bit as a client, edgy, pretending they don't care, for sure, there's an accountability around that behavior and their professional boundaries that I would maintain. But on a human to human level, I don't like the label uncoachable. Why would I ever put that label onto another human being? That's like writing them off. And if somebody had ever done that to me, if the people that I sought out for help to break free of this had done that with me, where would I be today? It was genuinely confusing at the time to navigate this message that you see in the world that is just be yourself. It's like, how was I going to walk? How do all of us? This is a tricky thing, and this is part of the caring what other people think and what we learn about relationships. How do we walk that space in life where we can really truly be ourselves yet face rejection? How do we have opinions yet face rejection? This was very confusing to me for a long time. Sometimes it still can be. I mean, if, if I express an opinion that's unpopular, am I being rejected because of the actual opinion? Am I being rejected because it was how I expressed the opinion? Am I being rejected because of cultural conditioning? You know, there's a very real phenomenon of people who are just on some conditioned level automatically very irritated by women with opinions. Women, by the way, can be very irritated with other women who have opinions, and that can be a very confusing thing as well. It's a genuinely confusing thing, I think, to walk through our society with this message. You need, you know, just be yourself. Everyone else is taken. And also try to figure out how to handle it when someone doesn't like us. And if you are just yourself and people don't like that, what do you do? Especially when you don't know how to be different. I think about this all the time around people who are trans, people who are LGBTQIA, people who come from a different culture and they're just trying to walk the world and be themselves and yet they're going to encounter people who just simply fundamentally don't like them. And, and then you're trying to figure out, like, why? What do I do? How do I get human connection when so many people are telling me that everything about me is wrong? If you are just yourself and people don't like that, what do you do? And what do you do when you don't even know how to be different? I'll go back just to relation to relation, relational context here, which is what I started this podcast with. Who taught you how to be a good friend? I mean, there was a long time in there where I didn't even know that I was a good friend. I pretty much automatically assumed that since I was rejected for being who I thought I was, 
that my job was then to figure out how to not be that so that I wouldn't be rejected. And implicit in that was this idea that I was not a good friend because people don't leave good friends, right? I mean, it just made sense to me in that way. And I understand that that's a, a narrative, a capital S story, but it also fits on some level, right? And you can hear that internalized kid within, probably, the internalized kid for where life is just really binary. You're either a good person or a bad person. And good people have friends and are loved and are wanted, and bad people don't have friends and are not loved and are not wanted. And human relationships are actually so much more complex than that. So now I'm going to share a realization that I had about this just be yourself, be who you are advice. And then I'm going to talk a little bit about how I look at friendships now. How do I, how do I, how do we, because it's not just me, I'm not just saying this to talk about myself. I'm saying this because I know that I'm not alone in this kind of an ache that can sometimes be there, the wounding that can sometimes still be there years and years later around formative friendships and that gets re-stimulated whenever a friendship doesn't work out or even just out in the world. There are people who don't go online, who are afraid to start their businesses and be on social media because they know that that is necessarily going to entail visibility and that's going to mean dealing with what other people think because other people are not always going to agree with you. That's fundamental to being visible. That's fundamental to interaction. That's, that's just part of how it goes. So here's what I finally realized about the just be yourself, be who you are advice. And I'm hoping that it's really helpful for me to share this with you. Are you ready for this? All those years when I thought that I was being myself and being rejected for that, I thought, well, what do you do with the advice, just be yourself, when people reject you just being yourself? What I came to realize is that all that armor was not myself. That just be yourself was actually an invitation to truly find out who that was. And that was the point when I learned that the anger and the armor and the judgment that I was carrying at all times that I thought I was kind of just turning on and off in this binary world of I'm armor and I'm, I'm not trusting with the people who are inherently bad and thus untrustworthy and I'm, I'm open-hearted and kind and great with the people who are I've deemed to be good. You know, this good-bad binary, it, it, first of all, it doesn't work. And second of all, if there's a good-bad binary, then I'm always going to be exhausting myself to try to be a good, <laughs> right? To try not to be bad. And this just-be-yourself advice that people get is really an invitation to truly ask yourself, what is just myself? And what do I carry because I think I'm supposed to? Or because I think that... I, I don't know, I've gotten caught up in some identity of, of who I'm supposed to be and how I'm supposed to behave. And that identity might not even be innate within me. It might have been conditioned into me. It might not even be who I truly am. And when I sat with all that long enough, and it took years and it still takes time. I mean, I still can sometimes go into that pattern of having the armor on and you know, somebody does something that I don't like and I have this abrasiveness come up that's, that's, 
who the hell do you think you are, you know? And this is a particular thing that I try to watch and keep in check when I know that there's someone I disagree with on some level that feels really important to me, like a political opinion. It's like, how do I, how do I stay in a space where I can actually be individuated? So I'm, I'm individuated. I am, I'm an individual unto myself. I am not you. There's a space where you and I are different and we have different opinions and we have different beliefs and different ways of looking at the world while also understanding the places where you and I are actually fundamentally the same and we both want some of the same things and that underneath all of this divisiveness and individuation and the place where we get caught in our righteousness or wanting to be right or thinking the other person should do it differently, we're actually both just kind of internally screaming for connection and love. How do I hold those two spaces? Because if I go fully into the space, if you, if you relate to any of what I've said today, go fully into the space of the armor and the righteous put-downs and getting the zingers in or the very, you know, 13-year-old mean girls, I'm just not going to talk to you anymore. I'm never going to have a conversation with you about it. I'm just going to not talk to you anymore. If we go into those spaces, how do we just simply lose the opportunity to try to, to try to go, what am I learning about what it means to be relational? What am I learning about what it means to be a good friend? And, and what am I practicing? Because you got to practice to learn. And of course, at the same time, for as much as I want to stretch into what it looks like to be a compassionate human being, there are also necessarily, I think, healthy boundaries. So let's talk about what those could look like. I'll share what I've started to look for and what I've practiced, and maybe it'll be helpful to you too. Because I think that this place of being a very real, authentic human being that has the ouch moment when someone doesn't like us, balanced with not letting what other people think limit who we are or what we do, is all mixed up in us knowing what our boundaries and our limits are in relationships. And my boundaries and limits might change. Maybe a couple years from now, I'm going to be in a very different place around some of this. But for now, here's what they are. First, a question has climbed up into my life as the result of some excellent coaching that I received from Leanne Raymond. Leanne is spelled L-I-A-N-N-E. Raymond is R-A-Y-M-O-N-D. She's at LeanneRaymond.com. And the coaching that I received was this wonderful question. And it was, do you actually want to hang out with them? Because I, of course, because I'm a human, you know, I talked about this this 10 years ago, this group of people who I was originally included in the group. Later, I was not. I both understood on some level why and on another level did not. And... Um, a lot of healing has happened around that. A lot of coming into my own has happened around that. And, you know, like I, it's not something I think of often. It was something I thought of because I saw this, this book and that's kind of what started this podcast. And there's this, (laughs) a couple of months ago, there was also this other thing. (laughs) 
you know, in the way that people do, they post about what they're up to online. And they post about, you know, oh, we're all getting together. Let's do the group selfie. And I saw some photo of a bunch of people who I knew all getting together doing the selfie. And I had not been invited. And I felt super triggered around that. <laughs> and I'm kind of laughing because it's just, it's, uh, I mean, just because us humans, we're so funny, aren't we? I mean, it's just, I, I just need to take a moment to just say, like, like there's this place that I, I realize that I quote unquote should be going to with a podcast where I should be pretending as though I was not triggered by these things or, or, you know, worried about it for a second. There's this place I should be going to where I'm like, well, you know, this is how it goes with friendships. And sometimes you're invited and sometimes you're not. And I have my own community, you know, there's that place. And, and I just think that the whole world would be a better place if we didn't play it cool. And I'm not going to play it cool. I'm going to be real. Like I had the whole, all these quote unquote popular kids are getting together without me thing. It was a re-stimulation of the old wound. And I bring some of this to Leanne and she says, well, do you even want to hang out with them? And it was a fascinating question to consider because I had been so busy thinking about how I wanted to be wanted and I wanted to be included that it hadn't even occurred to me that I don't know that I would have wanted to go to the restaurant they were going to or to have done any of the things that they were going to. And in fact, I had had appointments that day and I probably would have had to say no. <laughs> and also, she accurately picked up on the part of the wound that still remains, which is the part that wants to be included so badly that there's this automatic assumption of the binary again. There's this automatic assumption of, I must be bad and that's why I wasn't included and over there they are good and they get included. And it's such a dangerous binary. It's such a ridiculous game to play. It's not, it's not, a, it's not a true game in many ways. And why, and if it was a true game, why would I even want to hang out with anybody who played that kind of a game? I'm not saying that this other group that I saw online was playing that kind of a game. What I'm saying is if, if we all just stop to think about the places where we are included and the places where we are not, if there's any place where someone intentionally does not include, then that is probably some kind of petty middle school good, bad binary. I like you. I don't like you. You don't get to come. And why would you want to be around that? You know, the only reason to want to be around that is if one's own company and the feelings of disappointment or isolation are worse. And at least for me, I would really like to, and have spent a lot, a lot of time working on, okay, how do I make my own company a great place to be? Because if you're always included by yourself, if you're always wanted by yourself, then you always have that as your, your, I guess, your anchor. And isn't that the very best kind of anchor to have? And I'm not talking about isolating yourself. I'm talking about a genuine, positive self-regard. And that being the wellspring of your life, such that people can then come and go. People can enter or leave and you're basically okay. So before you run to think, before I run to think, how can I be included by that group? 
How can I twist myself, contort myself, be the one who's invited? Slowing down and taking a breath and going, how can I be my own invitation? And how can that be where I ground in? And then do I even want to be in that group? Do I want to be anywhere where it is not thought? Let's make sure we get Kate in here. There are a couple other metrics that I think I'm talking about metrics, but I'm really thinking about, I guess I'm thinking about metrics. I'm using that language because sometimes the emotionality of all this can just throw me asunder, right? When we're really triggered on an emotional level, and particularly when it's a re-stimulation of an old wound, there's this this feeling of, of amorphousness around who we actually are, what we actually believe, and what we actually want. And so in my own life, to try to not get completely turned around in moments where I know that that, that re-stimulation or that wounding, um, re-triggering of an old wound is, is possible. Like, okay, what are my metrics? So, all right, how, you know, do I want to be in that space? Great question. I look for in friendships and in any relationship, whether it's hiring somebody to be part of our team or anything else, it's, is there that very natural initial chemistry and rapport? because that can't really be faked. That can't really be cultivated. There's a sense in, in which your deepest, deepest friendships, your deepest relationships, do you just have like the eight second rule where immediately you're like, this person's hilarious, I'd love to hang out with them, or don't you? And sometimes you just don't. And so I try to really pay attention to that. Do I feel an, an immediacy within this person's presence of there is joy here, I'm accepted here, they're delighted to see me. They're having fun. This is just a very natural chemistry and rapport, and we're laughing and we're being silly, and it's great. So that's one of the first metrics. Another one that I look for, so if I'm meeting new people, if I'm hiring for a position, if I'm being asked to participate in somebody else's really awesome thing, is I look for shared values. And those shared values, I talk about this in my book, The Courage Habit, um, in, there's a chapter on reaching out and creating community because that is essential to practicing courage and living your most courageous life. And shared values are important. I didn't say shared opinions, by the way, right? Like I have opinions about things like veganism, ve vegetarianism, plant-based diet, but not all of my friends are vegans, vegetarians, or follow a plant-based diet. But I do believe that we, even, even around diet, we have a shared consciousness. We have a shared idea. It's not always the same, exact same shared consciousness, but a shared value around why am I eating this food and do I feel I have a reason for why I eat this food? And I would say that my friends who eat meat, they, they have a value around this is why I eat this food. And I'm making a conscious choice around why I do it. Plenty of vegans out there would disagree that eating meat, period, is a conscious choice. I'm not happening to be one of them. Um, and I don't need to belabor that point, but that's just an example of how you can have a shared value that isn't necessarily a shared opinion. Same thing around things like, for instance, parenting. Um, if I'm meeting a, a new mom friend and I'm kind of figuring out, like, would we be, would we mesh well together? You know, if I see her discipline her child by screaming at her child, no, it's not a shared value. I'm not saying I've never lost my temper with my own daughter, 
But if it's just like a regular routine thing, that's not a shared value. I'm not comfortable being around that. It, it's not a shared value around parenting. Similarly, on the other end of the spectrum, I'm not, I don't share a value around helicopter parenting. I don't want to have a play date where all we do is tell the kids how perfect and special they are and talk about kids. I want to have a play date where the kids like run along and play themselves. And then I get to, you know, hang out with the mom and talk about politics or the books that we're reading or what we're super excited about or, you know, whatever else is happening, whatever else is happening in our lives. So initial chemistry and rapport, shared values. And then now here's the big, 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 big one. And this is the one that if you resonate with what I said about letting some of that armor come off, and it feels hard to let the armor come off because then you might get hurt. This is going to be the thing that is probably going to be most helpful for you. At least it was the most helpful aha that I have had around this, how do I protect myself, but also not be defended? Here it is. I watch how people treat others. I watch how people treat others. And it took it took a number of of friendships, you know, throughout my 20s and into my 30s before I finally realized this. If you hang out with someone for a little while and you see that they are always dropping little bits of juicy gossip about other people in their life. Don't tell them I told you this, but if you hang out with someone and they're breaking confidence, somebody else's confidentiality, they're inevitably going to break yours. If you're hanging out with someone and they treat their relationships like those relationships are disposable, like as soon as they're kind of just done hanging out with one person, they move on to another and then to another and then to another, the day will come when your friendship with them is going to be too much work. And it too will be another example of a disposable relationship. So I try to really watch how people treat other people when it comes to those things in life that would be really difficult to, I guess you could say, heal from or recover from if they happened in a relationship. Because it is true that we take ourselves with us wherever we go. And for sure, Hanging out with a friend who is imperfect and flawed is going to be part of the gig. And anybody listening to this, and I myself, we are all imperfect and flawed. That's just how it goes. But I'm talking about the sorts of chronic issues that arrive, arise in relationships that can just be really, really hurtful. Obviously, it's a very different thing if you have a, friendsh a friendship with someone who is a chronic complainer versus a friendship with someone who is always breaking confidentiality. A chronic complainer, I can probably deal with. I can, you know, if there are other things in the friendship that are going really well. We can we can find our way around chronic complainers or you know, maybe a friendship where they tend to get involved in a lot of drama. There there, you know, when there's enough other good stuff to balance out the friendship, there tends to be a way to work through that kind of stuff. But Breaking confidentiality, the idea that you as a friend could get dropped at any moment and there's no real investment. When you see how someone treats other people, pay attention to that because it will give you a clue as to how you will be treated when the going gets tough. 
And this is how, in my mind, we, we look at how to be who we are and then also look at where we might need to have a boundary with someone because who we are might not be handled very well by them if it is inconvenient for us to show up as ourselves around them. I'm hoping that makes some kind of sense. In essence, if who I am is someone who is feeling really vulnerable about a way of being that's emerging, hanging out with that friend who's always saying to me, okay, don't tell her I told you this, but probably not a very smart move for me. Let's pay attention to how other people are and use that as knowledge that can help us. So in this conundrum, what feels like a conundrum for people who know that they hold a part of themselves in reserve, hold some of themselves back, in this conundrum of how do I be open-hearted, tender-hearted, soft, emotionally available, yet also be resilient, yet also have some level of just what is often called common sense, what I think of often as pragmatism around the fact that we live in a world where not everybody has the same ideas about friendship and some people might be hurtful. How do we navigate those two places? And for me, the answer is in looking at how someone treats other people, because that gives me ample information about how they will treat me when things aren't going so well. That's what I pay attention to now. So here's the gig, the biggest gig, and this is what I'll leave you with. There's a truth here where, again, I'm not going to play it cool. There's still a part of me that, you know, always wants to be liked, would love to live in a world where I am always liked. I am always, you know, open arms, acceptance, love, join in. We want you here. Come be with us. Hang out with us. And the wounds that come from the rejection from years ago, they, they still exist. They still can get re-stimulated. And I think that a wonderful goal for all of us to aim for around caring what people think is to really go, I'm willing to have the, the vulnerable ouch moment of this hurts. I know that I'm not accepted unconditionally, or I know that I'm being criticized here and it hurts. And at the same time going, I'm not going to let what other people think stop me from being who I am or doing what I know I want to do in this life. And so the parts of me that might still get re-stimulated or atone for the sins of the woman who didn't know better back when all that armor was on and she wasn't always the easiest person to be around, let's open the doorway for the compassion for those people that we have been really the ultimate decision I've made in my own life and that I invite you into if you know you have some of these same wounds. The decision I've made is I've decided that I want her. So instead of waiting for others to want me, my first choice is to decide that I want her, that I even want her with all of her flaws, with all of the ways that she fucked it up, with all of the ways that she was rejected for perfectly solid reasons because she wasn't showing up as an empathetic, open-hearted individual when she was wearing all of that armor. I want her even with all of the mistakes. And that's moving out of that good-bad binary. Because with all that armor on and all that toughness that I had then, and even if I still carry it, if it still shows up now, 
I am still good. I'm still lovable. I'm still a complex human being who can be a complete asshole and who can be a total angel. And so are you. And so are all of us. This is how it goes. This is the human experience. We are not all of one thing and none of another. We are all of a lot of things. And we all deserve and warrant love and care and connection. All right, some food for thought. If you want to connect with some other people who share some of these same courageous values, find the Courage Habit private Facebook group over on Facebook. I mentioned earlier that in my book, The Courage Habit, which is available Amazon, Barnes and Noble, booksellers everywhere, there's a chapter on reaching out and creating community. And part of that chapter does deal with what we do when it's difficult to reach out and connect with people. And you can also learn more about what other things I do over at yourcourageouslife.com. You can learn about the Courageous Living Coach Certification at teamclcc.com. Team like, you know, a team, a group that comes together. And uh, I'm on social, Kate Courageous most places, Your Courageous Life on Facebook. I'd love to connect with you. And as always, like I said at the beginning of this podcast, super appreciated. If the work resonates with you, let's help other people to find it. Leave a review wherever you found this podcast episode and uh, super appreciate it. All right, until next time.